Bella was crying and gasping for air in the smoky stairwell. Flames glowed on the landing below, but that didn't matter. She wasn't supposed to go that way. Go get the girls, Jane had said. Make sure they're safe up there. Up there. Up. Blinded by smoke and tears, Bella inched forward until her feet struck the first step leading to the tenth floor. The girls will be so scared, Jane had said, and Bella could picture them standing alone in smoke and flame, clutching each other, their faces pale and terrified beneath the perky bows in their hair. Then the smoke did something to Bella's eyes, and it wasn't the prim, proper little Blanc children she was seeing. It was other children, scruffy, barefoot, half-starved, runny-nosed Italian peasant children, three boys and a girl, wearing only rags. Julia, Bella whispered. Dominic, Ricardo, Giovanni. They may have looked half-starved and ragged, but they were grinning from ear to ear. They were jumping up and down and cheering. They were beckoning to her. My family, Bella whispered, I'm coming. But then she saw her mother with her brothers and sister, and Mama wasn't grinning and cheering. She was shaking her head. No, not yet, she said. But I wanted to die young, Mama, Bella sobbed. It's all right, I'll be with you. No, Mama kept shaking her head, even as she faded back into the smoke, only her voice remaining. You're alive, live, save the living. The words flickered in Bella's mind like flames, but stronger than flames. Choking on her sobs and the smoke and her sorrow that her family had disappeared, Bella stumbled up the stairs. She didn't care that flames lashed in through the broken window and sizzled on the wet skirt she held over her head. She couldn't die now. Mama had said she should live. She burst onto the 10th floor and dropped her skirt down to its proper position. People were running and screaming here too, but the smoke and the flames had only begun to roll in the windows. Across the room, Bella could see the bows on two little girls' heads bobbing up and down, like they were skipping. No, like they were hopping over flames in their path or jumping up and down in terror. Just as she neared the other side of the room, the Washington Place elevator doors sprang open. A whole crowd of people crammed into the elevator, sweeping one of the bow girls along with them. It was little Harriet, her pretty face twisted in fear. Papa, she screamed. Papa! And then a man in a dark suit reached into the elevator and pulled her out. As the elevator lurched away, plunging down through the fire below, Mr. Blanc hugged his daughter close to his chest, wrapping his suit coat around her shoulders. Harriet nestled her head against his neck, sobbing into his collar. Millicent clutched onto the bottom of his coat. They don't need me, Bella thought. They've got their father, their big, strong, rich father. But Mr. Blanc was only standing there with a dazed look on his stout face. Sir, Bella cried. She'd never spoken to Mr. Blanc before. He was her boss. He was a man, but she had to yell at him now. Sir, you cannot stay here. You've got to get out. Mr. Blanc turned, startled, his eyes unfocused. There you are, Mademoiselle Michaud, he said vaguely. I couldn't think where you might have gotten to. He slid Harriet into Bella's arms. He thinks I'm Jane, Bella thought. Can't he tell the difference? Didn't he hear my accent? Is one girl just the same as another to him? Bella remembered that her face was covered in soot. Her hair was in total disarray. Her shirtwaist was stained ash gray. And with everyone screaming, it was hard to hear anything. She leaned her face close to Harriet's and asked, Do you know who I am? Bella and Yetta and Jane, Harriet whispered back. You're Bella, 
the one who talks funny. Encircled in the safety of Bella's arms, Harriet seemed calmer and more reasonable than her father. Of course, with her face pressed against Bella's shirtwaist, she couldn't see the flames climbing through the green street windows, streaming across the ironing boards. Harriet, Bella whispered, we need to get away from here. Don't be scared if we have to start running. But I wanted to go to the roof. Papa was supposed to take us to the roof. The roof. It wasn't a bad idea, especially when the elevator was silent and shut and the ninth floor was an inferno and the fire kept pouring in the windows. Bella turned toward the nearest stairway, carrying Harriet and pulling on Mr. Blanc's sleeve. Harriet squirmed in Bella's arms. No, she said. Those are the wrong stairs. The Vader operator said only the Green Street stairs go up to the roof. Only the Green Street stairs. That's true, Mr. Blanc said vacantly. She's right. Bella turned him around so they were facing the other stairway. Those were the stairs Bella had used only moments before to climb to the 10th floor. But now the door was hidden by billows of smoke and the flames were the thickest on that side of the room. Hurry up, she snapped at Mr. Blanc. They made it halfway across the room before Mr. Blanc stopped again. A man was standing on a table, pounding on a piece of glass in the ceiling. Bella could tell this was a ridiculous. He was using his bare hands and the glass was thick. But Mr. Blanc blinked up at the man. Mr. Silk, he called. Do you think the skylight's the best way out? Mr. Silk didn't hear or didn't bother answering. But Mr. Blanc kept standing there waiting. Bella put Harriet on the ground just for a second, she whispered to the girl, and ran over to the table. Sir, she hollered, sir, come down from there. Use the stairs. While Bella was standing by the table, another man emerged from the smoke and picked up Harriet Blanc, took Mr. Blanc's arm, and led the whole group of them toward the stairs. Don't worry, I'll take you to safety, the man said, and Mr. Blanc said, thank you, Markowitz. I knew I could count on you. What about me? Bella wanted to yell after him. But it didn't matter. Somebody was taking care of the girls, and Bella didn't have to worry about them anymore. The smoke was thicker now. Bella could barely see the stupid man still pounding on the skylight. Dimly, she could hear voices around her, other people rushing toward the stairs. A girl slumped against Bella's back, then slid down to the floor. Bella crouched down beside the girl. What are you doing? Bella screamed at her. The girl was still breathing, so she wasn't dead. She just fainted. Wake up, Bella screamed, shaking the girl's shoulders. The girl's head rolled from side to side. Her eyes lolled in their sockets. Live, Bella's mama had told her. Save the living. But it didn't seem as though Bella could do both. Was Bella supposed to save the fainting girl and the stupid man? Or was she supposed to save herself? Another man appeared in the smoke. Mr. Bernstein, the factory manager. Lucy Weslovsky, get off the floor, he screamed. Mr. Silk, come down from that table. And then Bella and Mr. Bernstein were working together, lifting the girl, pulling down the man, shoving them both toward the stairs. Bella felt as though she were walking through fire, breathing flames, or maybe it was only the heat pressing in on all sides of them. They reached the stairwell, and there were flames there too, reaching in through the broken window. I can't, the girl Lucy moaned. You will, Bella shouted at her. Lucy had a jacket on, and Bella pulled it up over both their heads, shielding their faces as they ran blindly up the stairs. Bella stopped running only when she felt fresh air in her lungs. As soon as they stumbled out onto the roof, she lowered the jacket and discovered that it was burning now, too, lines of flame shooting along the collar, along the seams and cuffs. Bella dropped the jacket, 
She patted out the sparks on her skirt. It's no better up here, Lucy sobbed. That wasn't exactly true. There was a serene blue sky overhead and pure white clouds that seemed a million miles away from flames and smoke. But the smoke was blowing out into the sky and the flames were beginning to crawl up from the 10th floor. Then we keep going, Bella said. She realized that that was what she'd been doing her entire life. Her father died and Bella went to America. Pietro vanished and she started working two jobs. Her mother and siblings died and she joined the strike. The strike ended and she and Yetta helped Jane. On and on and on it went. She'd had to climb back from one tragedy or setback after another. That was life. But life was also three girls skipping down the street, their arms entwined. Rocco Luciano paying his penny back faithfully every single week. Rahel's new baby. It was bread and potatoes and roses, velvet and real. Lucy had begun to stumble over toward the edge of the roof. No, Bella screamed at her. You'll fall. It was a sheer drop down to Green Street, ten stories below. Bella couldn't even see clear to the ground through all the smoke and flames and floating ash. Bella tugged Lucy over to the side of the roof facing Washington Place, but there was no safe way down from there either. Frantically, she looked around. The other two sides of the roof ran into towering brick walls, walls two or three times Bella's height. "'You brought me here to die,' Lucy spat at her. "'You ruined my jacket for nothing.' "'No, wait!' Through the smoke, Bella saw a man beginning to climb one of the walls, digging his fingers into the mortar, balancing his toes between the bricks. At the top, he disappeared over the edge, onto the roof of the building next door. Bella realized it was just taller than the ash building. That was why it looked like nothing but a wall. Moments later, the man came back to the edge of the other building's roof and lowered a ladder down toward the factory. We'll go that way, Bella said. That building's not on fire. They rushed over with dozens of others who'd escaped from the 10th floor. Mr. Blanc was already handing Harriet up the ladder, and then Millicent climbed up behind her, almost falling because she was trying so hard to hold her skirt in close around her legs. Men were shoving Mr. Blanc up the ladder. Bella, come up here. There's no fire on this roof, Harriet cried out, leaning over the edge. Now that she was safe, she seemed to regard the whole experience as an adventure. Millicent was retching and trembling, and Mr. Blanc was sweating and moaning, My factory! My factory! But Harriet sounded as if she'd done nothing more dangerous than riding a Ferris wheel at Coney Island. Thanks, but I'm going to wait for Jane, Bella called back to her. She made sure that Lucy climbed up to safety without fainting again or falling. Then Bella backed away from the ladder, peering into the faces around her. Only 30 or 40 people had found their way to the roof, but it was hard to tell if Jane was among them. Everyone was soot-covered and singed, and the smoke swirled around them. Bella kept walking backwards, staring. Somebody grabbed her arm. Careful there, miss. It was Mr. Bernstein, the factory manager again. He pointed at the ground. She'd been one step away from falling down into a huge hole, a gaping pit of flames. Why was there a hole in the roof? Bella squinted, puzzled, her mind flashing back to a man standing on a table, pounding on seemingly unbreakable glass. The skylight. This was where the skylight had been. The man's attempt to break it had been pitiful, but the fire had shattered the glass almost effortlessly. Bella stared down into the flames, hypnotized. It's not safe here, Mr. Bernstein said. Go over to the ladders. I'm looking for my friend, Bella said. What if she's still down there? She pointed down into the fire, 
where the flames bubbled across the remains of a table. There was nobody left on the tenth floor, Mr. Bernstein said impatiently, or the eighth, I don't think. I was on the eighth floor, too. What about the ninth, Bella asked. Mr. Bernstein turned his head, avoiding smoke, avoiding her question. Somebody, he yelled, get this girl out of here. A figure appeared out of the smoke, a young man. Yes, sir, he said. He tugged on Bella's arm, pulling her toward another set of ladders rigged up alongside the other building. They said the NYU library was in danger of burning, the young man said. I said, so are those girls on that roof. Let the law books burn. I'm going to save the girls. Bella liked the sound of his voice, so firm and certain in the shifting smoke. Geta and Jane were both on the ninth floor, she said. The words were pounding in her head now that she herself was being saved. She barely realized that she'd spoken aloud until the young man startled at the names. Geta and Jane... For the first time, he peered at Bella closely as if trying to discern her features under the soot and ash. You were with that crowd. Then Bella recognized the young man. It was Charles Livingston, the law student Yetta had badgered with her questions about union rights. We thought you'd marry Jane someday, Bella said with a giggle that twisted in her throat. Maybe it wasn't a giggle at all. Maybe it was a sob. Really, Charles said, not until we get you to safety. He handed her up the ladder to the other law students, but then he climbed up behind her and led her down the stairs crowded with boys carrying books. They made it to an elevator and then out to the sidewalk. I always meet Yetta and Jane by the Green Street door, Bella told Charles. They'll be waiting for me. They'll be worried. But the sidewalk was blocked off by fire trucks and firemen and policemen shooing the crowds away. The policemen were completely different from how they'd been during the strike. They weren't slamming heads together and beating people with their nightsticks. They were patting the backs of sobbing girls. They were, could it be, sobbing themselves. Yetta and Jane have to see this, Bella told Charles. We can wait right across the street. They'll find me. They will. Bella couldn't have said when she knew that they wouldn't. It felt like hours that she and Charles stood there. It felt like an eternity. She could see the sheets covering the lumps on the sidewalk. Sheets dropped so hurriedly that a hand stuck out here, a boot with a shiny buckle stuck out there. She could see the firemen carrying out more lumps draped with sheets. These lumps seemed too small somehow, burned down to their essence. Bella didn't need to see underneath the sheet on the Washington Place sidewalk that covered two bodies, not one. She didn't need to hear the fireman who muttered as he carried out yet another corpse. At least this one had a nice ring before she died. She knew without evidence, without proof, without actually knowing. Bella began keening. She stood on her own two feet, leaning on no one, but Charles stood beside her, his arm around her shoulders as she wailed. And then Rocco was there, and Rahel hugging her and sobbing and wailing too. When Bella's family had died, she'd felt so alone. She'd been frantic in her grief because she was the only one left to mourn them. But now she was surrounded by mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends and fiancés, all mourning for their own dead. And it seemed to Bella that she could feel the sorrow spreading to millionaires in their mansions and to women in fur coats who'd walked a picket line beside a hungry girl they now wondered about, to college girls who'd gone to jail for an immigrant girl's job 
to young, dreamy-eyed men who'd bought a strike edition newspaper from a pretty girl they now remembered as if she were their first true lost love. And to Bella, at a moment when everything else seemed so tragically wrong, this at least seemed right, that all of New York City was grieving with her.